pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. Well, hi there and welcome to this episode of Outsmart the Pain. I was supposed to publish a talk with two people here, but recently I changed technical platform from Android to iPhone, which actually could be one episode of its own to describe this. But since I do a lot on the phone, I did not realize I needed to change there too, making this podcast. So instead I have pulled up an emergency episode. Now you will hear something no one else gets to hear about, the anesthetic life, or at least my life as an anesthetist, before I went 100% pain. And there will be stories, I tell you. (sighs) But okay, how do you become an anesthetist, narkosläkare? Well, first you are a med student, läkarkandidat. Then you have your internship, it was called AT-läkare for me. And finally, residency, ST-läkare, before you become a specialist. In Sweden, after six years of med school, that is another eight years, so in total 14 years of studying after high school. You would think you learned everything then, but of course, this is not entirely true. Some of it you learn by doing it, by experience, by hearing from someone else how something should be done, and so on. But during this journey, you meet a lot. What is so rewarding is the meeting with different people who all have their own story. As an anesthetist, you need to find a solution to different and new, never-seen-before problems. And sometimes in a hurry. Most often, people think we only deal with sleeping patients. But there is a lot of interaction with the other specialities. You talk a lot with patients and relatives, and you can work at the ICU, intensive care unit, surgery, among other places. In this episode, I will tell you about what I encountered through my years. It would probably be in a book if I ever wrote one about this. So, in that case, you heard it here first. But, to be a little bit on the serious side, let me warn you. Some stories are not nice. They might be very tragic or frightening. If you do not want to know what it could look like behind the scenes, I suggest you skip this episode. There are several others you could listen to. I have worked at three different hospitals in Sweden and at least as many in the UK before I started at Kapio St. Görans Hospital where I work now. So all patient cases will be from these former hospitals and not from my current one. 
Also, I will change some facts, so there is no way anyone would recognize anything, although this must be extremely unlikely anyway. A younger man might become an older lady, a carpenter might work as a vet. You'll never know which facts are changed for the story. But the doctor was always me. So let me start when I did my internship. I really enjoyed working and I think I did well. I even got an operating theater of my own for a day. What a great privilege. The operating nurse said she had not had an internship physician perform surgery by himself before. Now it was not very complicated. It was a large lipoma. That's my first case. That is a fat tumor placed right over the sternum, the breastbone. The patient was put to sleep. I started by cutting the skin and also cut a tiny blood vessel. Nothing strange with that. But that tiny stream of blood shut right up in my eye. I had to stop the surgery at once and when I began after a while again I looked like an astronaut. I wasn't so cocky after that. Also when I was at internship I had this old man coming into the ER and he had cut himself in the leg with an axe. And my supervisor said that this is a typical man, old man, who doesn't want to come to the hospital. So when he leaves the hospital, you will not see him again. So you need to do a very good job when he's here. So you have to take out all the wooden splinters that he has in his leg and make that wound very clean and so on. So I was working there and being very, very, very um, cumbersome, I think he thought. Uh, and I put out all the splinters from his leg and he was sitting there and waiting and waiting and you could really see that he didn't want to be there. I wanted to be very careful to take out uh, all the wooden parts from his legs but still not hurt him too much. But he was really frustrated that he had to be at the hospital. So suddenly he looked at me and he said okay if you're looking for the axe I actually left it in the woods. Later on, during my residency in anesthesia, I remember being on call at the hospital and there had been a big car accident some miles outside town. An ambulance picked us up, a very calm and experienced nurse, and a very inexperienced but still calm anesthetist. And an ambulance which broke my personal speed record on that motorway. When we arrived, the firemen tried to cut the car open so they could get to the driver. They had started to cut a hole in the roof, so through the foam so the petrol would not ignite, I climbed up on the roof of the car and held the patient's head straight and still while giving him painkillers. Well, not tablets, but intravenously. There was no possibility to intubate him, so I had to give him enough drugs so he did not have pain, but still would not get totally unconscious, although he was not totally with me, I must tell you. After a while, a helicopter came, the guy was finally cut loose, and I could deliver him to the anesthetist on the helicopter. The patient was intubated and transported to the hospital. The day after, we had a debriefing at the hospital. I had never been at one and did not feel bad in any way, but I thought I should be there. And the head of that department started by saying, 
we have this meeting to see how we can improve our work in the future. Not one word about us as people and the only thing said about the action on site at all was, and I admit this might be just a tad childish of me, was how great the anesthetist was on the helicopter who intubated the patient. And I was still kind of satisfied with my work. Since we did not have any care of the patient any longer, it was not permitted for us to check the journals. I could have an entire pod about how stupid I think this is. How could we ever learn if we cannot read what happens after our interventions? But I won't talk about that. It's a political question. Anyway, by chance I met the ambulance drivers when they delivered another patient at the hospital later on. And over a cup of coffee one said he was happy the guy made it although his neck was broken. So I had held him from above, holding his head for over an hour and he had a broken neck and still made it. And I only got to know a helicopter anesthetist did something well. Communication, guys, very important. But I had some fun too. I remember when I had some kind of introduction exam at one of the anesthetic sections at the hospital. I was supposed to take care of everything and my supervisor was sitting in a corner just taking notes. The surgeon was doing his thing and it was totally quiet in the theater. My supervisor then said, if you think the atmosphere is a bit tense and quiet in here, it's because we have a test. When the surgeon was finished, he did the last stitches and said, Well, now then, I guess this is when the patient is supposed to wake up. I said, Hello, Mr. Anderson. The patient did not cough. He did not move. He just opened his eyes right when I asked him to wake up. Perfect timing. But sometimes you're lucky. Oh. When I worked within the pain field... I did not want to lose my anesthetic skills, so why not work in the UK? During some summers my family and I went there. Actually our oldest son took his first steps on British soil. Anyway, I worked at a hospital and one gentleman was having his knees replaced. Unfortunately he had a flat tire before he came to the hospital, so he needed to kneel down on his hurting knees and he was talking about that when I had my so-called pre-anesthetic talk with him. I made a joke and I told him maybe he could sell his car to me, cheap. We laughed and he said, what if you change your mind? And I said, you know, we anesthetists have drugs that will make you forget things. After surgery he woke up and another physician from the original staff was checking him out. I passed by and the patient recognized me. And he said, hello, doctor, I know you, you're the one who wanted to buy my car cheap and then give me drugs so I would not remember selling it. My time at the NHS in the UK was really fantastic. I learned a lot of things and also had a lot of fun. And I really must tell you a story. I was to work at a hospital and another Swedish anesthetist was going to work there at the same time. There was some confusion about what I was supposed to do, 
and how come I didn't know everything, although I had answered their mail, which I hadn't received and therefore hadn't answered. And then I found out that the other anesthetist's name was, believe it or not, Karsten. So the staff thought that Karsten probably was the most common name in Sweden, and not Sven or something else. And they had only booked one room for both of us. They of course fixed this, but the first night we needed to sleep in the same room, but thankfully in opposite beds. In the morning I called my wife at home to wake her up for her work and chit-chatted a bit. What I didn't realize was that the other Karsten thought I was talking to him. So the conversation went something like this. Good morning. Good morning. Did you sleep well? Yes, I did. So, what are you up to today? Well, there are some hips and knees and... Uh, there were a few more sentences and I ended up with, well, I hope you have a great day. Lots of kisses. Silence in the room. We had a laugh over that situation later on. <laughs> Actually, I liked it so much in the UK, so I applied to become a manager at one of the smaller clinics. This was totally new for me, but I got as far as to the more practical things on how to move there. But still, I wanted some advice. So I called another Swede I knew and asked him about his experience because he had been working in the UK. Should I take this job? He disagreed. The English will never accept you fully because you are from Sweden and you will have to put down a lot more hours than it looks like in the contract. So actually, I would say no. So after some thoughts, I did. And I do not regret this one second. But who do you think got the job instead? The Swedish guy telling me I should not have taken it. What? So my personality is somewhat of the kind not to cry over spilled milk. And I try to tell my patients this as gentle as possible. I see so many patients who get angry because of how they got their pain and th therefore they never get better. You really need to accept your situation and try to make the best of it, regardless of the circumstances. I know this is easy for me to say, but it's actually the only way to move forward. And here I actually think I live like I learn. So, back to Sweden. Of course, my line of work has been filled with so many things that I couldn't really tell them all. Some have been really hard and difficult and also sad, but it has been mixed with joyful moments and of course the bliss of working with people I both admire and like working with. And this is still the case where I work now. When I look back on my work so far, I can't really say I have done something wrong causing a patient to die or get severely injured. And that is of course always a possibility. On the other hand, I have made decisions where I couldn't know if it was right or not which had fatal consequences. Maybe the outcome would not have been different, but still, I wouldn't say haunts me, but still I think of it now and then. One very strange thing is how little support you get during your work. You can leave your intensive care unit in the morning and you are just supposed to handle it. Right now I work a lot with psychologists at my current clinic and we have been working with intensive care unit personnel during the COVID pandemic and we have really seen not only demands for help during the pandemic 
but help throughout the so-called ordinary work because it puts a lot of strain on you. I remember one story at another hospital. I was on call every second night for a week, so I saw a patient several times that week. This was a woman who actually was awake in the ICU, but she had a serious condition. When I was in her room, she asked me, Doctor, I really need you to tell me the truth, because no one really tells me what the future looks like for me, and I need to know. We had a brief discussion about getting information in the middle of the night, how to handle the information, etc. But she was a very impressive woman who knew what she wanted, so it ended up with me saying, Well, to tell you the truth, we don't expect you to be with us the next time I'll have my own call. She looked at me and said, Oh, this sounds like Dr. House. But I really do appreciate it because now I have time to get someone to take care of my cat in the future. We talked a bit more and two days after it, when I was at the hospital, she was deceased. This of course raises a lot of things you could discuss and this is only one of many so-called cases where you really start to think about different things. And still, there was no one else to talk about this with. I never felt that I need this. But I know there are colleagues out there who probably would. And we have young doctors who just go out there with almost no experience and are expected to get a grip on everything. Some have life experience because they are a little bit older and have family and have seen a lot of things. But some just went through all med school and are finished and then they meet life. It's not easy. We also had this patient, a younger dad, who was severely injured in an accident and got a brain damage and finally died. His heart beat, but his brain and he as well was dead. He was still hooked up with the machines and we really didn't know how to approach his younger daughter because we needed this to be an experience she could handle as well as possible. We of course had talks with personnel who deal with this, but still it's not an easy situation. The daughter said she needed to sit with her dad and talk, so we left her in the room on a chair beside him. After a while she came out and said, My father said that you do not need to worry anymore. You can shut down the machines for him now. He told me goodbye. This girl is probably 35 years old today, But I almost start crying when I record this, so of course we have situations in healthcare that really get into your heart, but I wouldn't like to be without this experience as well. Then we have the serious stuff, but still on the funny side. I was working at the ICU and one of the patients was just waiting there because we tried to find a place on the ward where they could take care of a so-called tracheostoma. The patient had a hole in the throat where a ventilator was connected, but he couldn't talk. Next to him was a really sick patient where I worked throughout the whole night from midnight till morning with different things to try to keep her alive. That made a lot of commotion and the patient who was just waiting to get to the ward didn't get any sleep during the night. In the morning when the ward personnel came to get him, The bed drove by me where I was sitting and he just stretched out his arm and showed me a note and it said Please turn off my neighbor. Stäng av hon bevid.
So working within a speciality where people say it's 95% boredom and 5% panic, have I had any heroic moments? Well, to be honest, although I try not to sound like I'm bragging, the anesthetist really works in an environment where people would die if you didn't do your job. So of course every day is filled with moments where you really make a difference. I think my personal biggest trait is that I never panic. Sometimes I might seem a bit uninterested in big happenings, but I think keeping my cool and trying to survey the situation has helped me more than it has given me trouble. I remember when we had a patient with a big throat tumor which threatened to occlude the airways. We tried to organize surgery, but during the whole preparation phase we knew that the air pipe could close anytime. It would be really, really hard to get the patient survive. I would have problems getting in the air tube in her airway and so on. While we were working, this exact thing happened while the surgeons were rushing from their homes to start surgery. So I realized this would be a close call. The stretcher was surrounded by healthcare personnel and of course some of them were not as used to the situation as maybe I was. So while I was trying to intubate the patient, I calmly said that the body would react to the lack of oxygen in a short while. And apart from changing skin color and such things, the heart would start beating slower and even go into a systole, that is stopping. I said that this is something we need to be prepared for and not panic. So we need to prepare all different types of medication and when the patient actually went into cardiac arrest everyone was actually very calm and we had prepared everything as good as we could. Maybe I wouldn't have told you this story if things didn't work out well but in the end the patient made it without any complications due to lacks of oxygen. I was never put off by gory scenes and there have been a share amount of that during the years. But actually when I got a thought in my head that I really need to work with something else was when I was at a trauma room and just another teenager who was drunk came in and the trauma room was filled with blood and vomit and beer. I thought other people can do this just as well as I can. Let me dwell into the pain field 100% instead. So if I could change something with all the patients that would be the intake of alcohol. You see so much bad stuff happening just because of the alcohol. And I'm going to end this episode with some stories, kind of the funny side, but still it would have been better if the alcohol wasn't involved. Can you believe it or not, but there were two guys who while being drunk competed who dared to sit closest to the sauna heater. The one who lost actually fell asleep and woke up because he thought there was a barbecue. The winner of the competition also fell asleep, leaning against the sauna heater. That's why I needed to see him at the burn unit. And talking about competitions while being drunk, a guy, of course, had swallowed a spoon and since the surgeon could not get it out through a gastroscope, he needed to open the stomach and take it out, leaving quite a scar. This man later on told us 
His friends competed with him who could put the spoon the furthest in the throat without swallowing. And they had tried with other objects like glasses and other stuff. I don't know if he was considered being the winner or not since he put it so far back he swallowed it. These were just a few of all stories I could tell being an anesthetist. If you like them, drop me a line at karsten at karstenalbeck.com and I might tell you some more stories later on. Next time we'll talk with Karin Julström again if I get all the technical difficulties working again and talk about something called pill shaming. The bad feeling when you take tablets you feel you need but rather wouldn't take or at least not feel the shame by taking them. Even if you don't take pills at all, you might know someone who does, or you will just be a bit smarter overall by listening to that episode. Thank you for your support. So, I'll talk to you in a week from now. Take care. (laughs) 